My topic is how to be born again. And my text, John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we continue with our Lenten series, Encounters with Jesus. Last week, the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. This week, Nicodemus the Pharisee in John chapter 3. And really, the key to both encounters is the introduction at the end of chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He himself knew what was in man. What was in the Samaritan woman at the well? What was in Nicodemus, the Pharisee? Who were the Pharisees? If you believed in the resurrection of the dead, to divine judgment followed by the establishment of God's kingdom, the ministry of angels, human freedom and divine providence, consistent and systematic study of God's word and its application and extension to new situations after discussion and even debate, if you distrusted elaborate rituals performed by a professional priesthood in grand buildings supposedly dedicated to God, but rather preferred to focus on the home as the center of religious observance and personal obedience to God's word, if you emphasized religious education and local fellowships and struggled against secular rulers and the cultural accommodation to paganism, you could have been a first century Pharisee. The word in Hebrew means the separated ones. The Jewish historian Josephus estimates their number in the first century at about 6,000. They were serious, committed, disciplined, sort of Jewish Jesuits. Now this Pharisee, Nicodemus, was also a ruler of the Jews meaning a member of the Sanhedrin, the Council of Seventy, which the Romans allowed to regulate religious matters in Judea and Galilee, although they had no power to put anyone to death. Nicodemus comes by night to see Jesus. Some scholars think he feared exposure as a secret follower of Jesus. Others think he was sent by a group in the Sanhedrin who wanted to learn more about this rabbi from Nazareth. And if Nicodemus came as a representative, it would explain why many of the yous in Jesus' responses to him, as in, you must be born again, are plural forms in the Greek. Some think Nicodemus came by night because he wanted a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus and felt he was important enough to merit that. And if so, that is certainly what he got. It is the signs Jesus does that inspire Nicodemus. He cannot escape the conclusion that God is truly at work through this man, 
But Jesus ignores his respectful greeting and goes right to the heart of the matter. What Nicodemus wants to know is how to be sure to see, that is, to enter, to experience, to participate in the kingdom of God, that great climax of human history after the divine judgment, when God will rule his righteous ones directly. What will qualify Nicodemus for citizenship in that kingdom? How much study, discussion, teaching, prayer, observance of the law? Jesus replies, in effect, start over. You must be born, anothen in the Greek, which can either be translated born again or born from above. And Nicodemus, understandably, is stunned. Everything he has achieved is to be wiped away in order to do the impossible. He takes the notion to mean born again and must be visualizing his large frame and mature body trying to get into the birth canal of his aged mother. How indeed can a man be born? when he is old. But Jesus just bears down on him. As you need a physical birth to exist at all, a birth of water and of the flesh, so you need a spiritual birth born of the Spirit. When Nicodemus marvels, and I picture his jaw dropping and his eyes popping and his head shaking slowly from side to side, Jesus puns on spirit, which in Greek is also the word for wind. He puns by reminding Nicodemus that the wind comes and goes, and Nicodemus doesn't understand how or why, he just experiences it. Being born of the Spirit is like that. We don't have to understand it or explain it. We just know its reality by experiencing it. When Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? It's perhaps not so much that they are incomprehensible to him as that they are radically unjust to him. He is thinking, does all my study and discussion and debate, all my self-discipline and fasting and tithing and prayer, my hope for vindication in the judgment and reward as a righteous and separated person, Do they all count for nothing in the kingdom of God? I, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, need to be born again to start over? Jesus answers that Nicodemus needs to receive Jesus' testimony and teaching because it's revelation, not reasonable deductions from well-established legal principles. Like Moses with the ten words on Mount Sinai, this teaching about the new birth comes down from heaven through Jesus, who, as the Son of Man, has descended from heaven. This title, the Son of Man, is found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and refers to one, quote, like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was presented before him, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. 
and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Nicodemus, Jesus, is saying, if you long for the kingdom of God, then listen to me, for I will be its king. I descend with a new revelation from God, and as the Son of Man, I will be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so that whoever believes in me may have eternal life. This reference, of course, is to the strange episode in Numbers chapter 21 you heard as our first lesson. Once again, the Hebrew people have grown thirsty and hungry in the wilderness. They're tired of manna, and they mistrust God, falling into complaint and grumbling. And the Lord sends fiery serpents to punish them. People are bitten and die. The people repent, and Moses intercedes for them. The Lord tells Moses to fashion a bronze serpent, an effigy, and set it on a pole. Whenever anyone is bitten, if they will look upon the serpent, they will live. In light of the cross, I think we can understand what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, I am the remedy. I am the antidote to sin and its lethal consequences. Look on me upon the cross as God's remedy for your sin, and you will be saved. At this point, Nicodemus has fallen silent. Indeed, scholars differ as to where the interview ends and where commentary on it begins. How can Nicodemus understand what Jesus means by being lifted up like the bronze serpent? Or does Nicodemus know that some of the Sanhedrin are already plotting Jesus' death, which would have to involve crucifixion by the Romans? But surely only after the crucifixion and resurrection can anyone fully understand how God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not to condemn the world, but to save it, because whoever believes in him has eternal life. And this, in the context of the encounter, is the answer to Nicodemus's question, how can these things be? Or how does the new birth occur? It occurs when and as we look upon Jesus on the cross as the remedy for our sin. With that belief, eternal life begins for us, and that life, begun now, will carry us through physical death and past the judgment to the consummation of all things in the kingdom of God. A few chapters later, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit like rivers of living water to those who believe in him. But, adds John, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In John's Gospel, the cross is the place where the glory of God, his eternal power and majesty, are made visible. So the Spirit brings new birth to eternal life when we stand underneath the cross and understand it. But what about Nicodemus? Do you think he was born again? 
Did he enter into eternal life? And will he see the kingdom of God? We meet him again in chapter 7 after Jesus' proclamation on the last day of the feast. Officers are sent to arrest him by the Sanhedrin, but they are too overawed by his charisma and authority and fail to complete their task and return without him. The chief priests and Pharisees are furious. Nicodemus intercedes, pleading with them to give Jesus a hearing before judging him. So Nicodemus shows continued respect for Jesus, which is politically dangerous in an increasingly polarized situation. In John chapter 18, Jesus has been arrested and is given a hearing before the high priest Caiaphas and his father-in-law Annas. But as the other Gospels make clear, the Sanhedrin, at least some of them, were also present during this trial. If so, Nicodemus could well have heard Jesus commit what his enemies viewed as blasphemy by publicly proclaiming himself as Messiah and Son of Man. Again, the chief priests and scribes followed Jesus to the place of crucifixion and mocked him on the cross. They said, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let Christ, King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And Nicodemus may well have stood among that group who watched the crucifixion. His memory would bring back Jesus' words as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Did belief follow in Nicodemus' heart? Did he come, do you think, to saving faith? I think so. For in chapter 19 of John's Gospel, it is Nicodemus who comes with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus from the crucifixion detail after his death. Joseph gives over his own unused tomb in the garden, and Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and together they wind the body of Jesus in the linen cloths with the spices and place it in the new tomb. Friends, this is not how you treat someone you believe to be a blasphemer and a criminal. Rather, the large quantity of spices suggests a royal burial. Perhaps this was Nicodemus' way of affirming this is the king of Israel, even though he died on the cross rather than coming down to save himself. So it may not surprise you to learn that Nicodemus is Saint Nicodemus in the calendar of the saints of both the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches. But what about you? This Lent, are you zealous in Bible study, in tithing, and fasting, and disciplines of prayer, believing in the resurrection of the dead, looking and longing for the kingdom of God to be fully established, focused on the ethics of right conduct and right attitudes, and quietly holding in contempt those who make compromises with and assimilate to a corrupt culture? But are you as well failing to see any evidence 
that God is working miracles in and around you. Do you need to be born again? Born from above to start over. This Lent, in your imagination, settle yourself under the cross. Look up past its column of wood to the scarred feet and twisted legs, the outstretched arms and wounded side, the bowed head of the dying Jesus. Say to yourself, this is for me. Say to him, you are the remedy, the only remedy. Without you, I am lost to God, to myself, to real life. In your imagination, let his blood drip down and wash you. Stick out your tongue and let a salty drop fall on it. Is that disgusting? Is that over the edge? Then why do we tell you every Sunday when you receive the wine, this is my blood shed for you. Drink and be thankful. As you look in faith upon Jesus lifted up on the cross, the new birth occurs. And you with Nicodemus have eternal life. And one day will rise to find the kingdom of God fully come. Amen.